I'm Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps Podcast. In this episode, host Casey Seymour sits down with Wayne Brochek of WB Global Services. Wayne previously worked in the aftermarket side of the business at various farm equipment dealerships before starting his consulting business. He'll also be presenting at this summer's Dealership Mind Summit, Next Level Service Management. If you haven't already registered, I encourage you to head over to dealershipmindsummit.com to register now. Um, as we are nearly sold out. And if this is your first time listening, you can subscribe to the podcast on any of your favorite platforms. Okay, let's jump in. Here's Casey and Wayne talking about how Wayne got his start in the farm equipment business and his calling to the parts department. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by WB Global Services. So I have a really good friend of mine named Wayne Brozick. Decided to uh, go out on his own and start his own consulting firm, and it's, it's not something that that Wayne is is not familiar to. He's done a little bit of that stuff in the past, but but Wayne's really a guy that that understands parts of service like no one else I've been, been around. So Wayne, thanks. Have thanks for being on the podcast, man. You bet. Glad to be here, Casey. So talk about what you're doing now, man. Well, so um, after I left the John Deere um, aftermarket, mm-hmm. decided that um, I've been doing consulting in the past. I obviously, as you know. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to open up a consulting firm and we're going to call it WB Global Services because we've trained in, in South America, Central America, um, had a lot of fun in Argentina and, yep. and all those things, but uh, decided that there's a real need to improve our aftermarket operation. And now is the time to do it. Yep. Everybody's selling, as you know, can sell anything and everything they have on their lot. But um, the real progressive dealers and the dealers that are paying attention know that that pendulum is going to swing back someday. Yep. And when it swings back, we better be ready in parts and service to bear, carry the load of uh, the dealership expenses. And so really a big focus on aftermarket performance, right? So what we do is we have WB Global Services and we go out and we'll do um, training to service managers, parts managers. And we, ha- we also have a program we call the EDGE. Mm-hmm. That is a dealership training. It's a year-long program that you sign up for, and we give you a hundred percent fee guarantee. So, if that training costs twenty-five thousand dollars, for example, if we do not generate an additional twenty-five thousand dollars worth of gross me- revenue for you that next year, you pay us nothing. Okay, right? And we'll come out. We'll do an initial interview of all your people that deal with parts and service, and um, come back, formulate a plan. Get the dealer principal and the executive teams buy-in to say, yeah, I think those, those are our weak areas. We could definitely use some improvement in those areas. Then we go to work on that. And then throughout the course of the next 12 months, we'll be on site two more times. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, we'll, but we'll do monthly calls or quarterly calls to keep a finger on the pulse to make sure the metrics are moving in the direction we need them to move. And if we have to come out and handle a special meeting or something like that, be more than happy to do that stuff too. So right on. it's yeah. been a lot of fun. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So talk a little bit about your background. So okay. Start back at the beginning, kind of how you got into this sure. business and how you yeah. ended up here. Well, so in, in high school, I started delivering parts at the local Ford dealership. Right. Right. My uncle got me the job and, and I really enjoyed that. And I wanted to work the counter. I wanted to help the guys on the parts counter. So the, the two guys that I worked with were helping train me on, on basic part numbers. Uh-huh. And when I moved away and go to college, I needed a job. So the job I knew was training in parts. So I went to the parts dealership in, uh, in Colorado and talked to the guys and they said, yeah, we'd love to have you come on board. So started there working the back parts counter and built some really good friendships with technicians and really started to see the frustration on the technicians faces and their language and all that when they asked for a part and I couldn't provide it. Right. Mm-hmm. 
because those guys were paid to put those parts on and get the next vehicle in and out. So after I graduated, I decided I was going to move away. That never happened. I stayed right where I was at 20 years later. I'm still working the same Ford dealership, but loved it. Great, great deal. But, um, my, my passion became parts inventory management, right? Right. When, when we typed it in and we showed one, I didn't feel like we should have to run upstairs or downstairs or across the dealership to find that one part. If it showed it, we should have it. And back in the day when I was working the parts counter, we could type in, we could show three of a fuel pump or whatever. And I'd have to physically go put my hands on one of them. Our inventory was so jacked up. And so um, the plight became, I really wanted to understand the science of parts inventory management. So when, when the system manager left, they promoted me to assistant parts manager. And I told the parts manager at the time, I said, Hey, you know what? I really want to understand this. We got to improve our accuracy. So I started studying the inventories and how um, other dealerships were doing things and realized that, you know, we did inventory once a year. We didn't do a perpetual inventory. So I told my parts manager, I said, Hey, I want to start doing bin counts every single day. And I think we should make every other parts guy do it as well. And there was five of us in the department at the time. And uh, we started doing perpetual inventory counts, bin checks. And we'd check the parts and we'd clean the parts and seal the parts back up. It wasn't just count the part and make sure you had it. But um, we, we started gaining a lot of accuracy. And we started realizing that, hey, we have more shrinkage in our parts farm than we really recognized. And then the, the parts manager moved away and I became the parts manager. So now I was in total control of that, right? So I said, we're going to do this every single day. There's daily processes and daily tasks we're going to do. And we were turning our inventory about three to four times a year in the automotive sector. And after we started really refining our processes, we, we shrunk the depth of our inventory, increased the breadth of it a little bit, and we started noticing our turn was improving. We went from three to four to about six to seven and seven to eight mm-hmm. times a year, which was really good. And off the shelf fill status, because that's what everybody will say next. Oh, yeah, your, your turn was really good because you're relying on the manufacturer to stock all right. your parts, right? Yeah. So what's your fill rate? Well, our fill rate for stock status parts, we had two classifications, stock status, which is what you'd sell three times or more a year, and non-stock was special orders and things you might sell one or two times a year. And But our non-stock, our stock status parts, we our fill rate was 95, 98% all the time. Right. So we did really well at that. And about seven, eight years after that, we moved to a brand new dealership, built a brand new store, and uh, the service manager retired. Mm-hmm. And so the owner came to me and said, Wayne, would you uh, like to be the service manager? I said, heck yeah. I was always getting chewed out by the service department, right? right. As a parts manager. So I said, heck yeah, I'll jump the fence and I'll just start doing the, the butt chewing, right? right. And so uh, I move over and, and uh, realize, well, the grass isn't that much greener over there because those guys right. really get ran through the meat grinder right. on the service side. But did that for about, oh, I don't know, seven, eight years. And then Ford kind of switched their mentality and they said, hey, look, we would rather have a fixed operations director mm-hmm. versus a parts and a service manager. One one person in charge of both. Yeah. So I took that role and um, we had a great, great deal, great team working for us. And I always said, I want to go on the sales side because those guys, you know, on the parts and service, you get chewed out a lot. People aren't real happy when they come in to see you. Right. But the sales guys, they always get cookies and cakes brought to them and people are smiling and joking. So I said, I want to move over there. And so uh, an opening came up and uh, the owner moved me over into used sales. And I started understanding the sales side of the business. And then went from used to new and then a general manager. We had a second location. I became a general manager of that store and still ran the fixed operations at the main store. So that, that was a lot of fun. And the dealership that I went to 
Well, when I was in Nebraska and was going to high school where I very first started, that dealership came up for sale. So I asked the owner, I said, hey, we're growing. We now have two stores or three stores. And would you like to buy this one? He's like, no, I'm not interested at all. And I said, oh, I'd really like to buy it. But I only had a a slight problem, Casey. Yeah. Well, I had about 1.7 million of these little problems, right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Cash, right? I just didn't have that laying around. And so, um, but the owner said, hey, you know what? I'll partner up with you and we'll buy it. So we, uh, we went to Ford, said, yep, no problem. Ford Lincoln Mercury said, yes, go to Toyota, visit those guys. And they said, no, even though his family had been like, he was a fourth generation, mm-hmm. right? We had all the experience that so we just couldn't get it done. And so, um, another group came up and said, Hey, we'd like to buy that store, but we'd like to have a, a onsite general manager partner. And I said, okay, well, I checked it all out. I thought, great. So we went into that and, um, I tell everybody partnerships are a lot like a marriage. Some are really, really good, and some are really, really bad. (laughs) Mine was the latter. Mine was not good at all. And uh, so I I got out of that, and um, but I learned a lot. And then my neighbor had John Deere stores, and they asked, "Hey, would you would you like to uh, come aboard as a general service manager?" And I thought about it, and wasn't really interested at first because I didn't know that much about ag. Right? I mean, when I grew up, every summer I got shipped off to my uncle's farm. And at the time I hated it. Right. right. Cause all my buddies were at the, you know, baseball leagues and oh, swimming sure. pool yeah. and skating rink. And here yeah. I am in junior high school and I'm 150 miles from a loaf of bread. Right. 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 But, uh, yeah. it, it taught me some really good work ethic and it taught me general mechanics and, and things like that. You know, how to weld all those basic things that my buddies didn't get. But, um, I decided, you know what? I don't know anything about ag. But I do know parts and service, and I know technicians are technicians and parts are parts. And it doesn't matter what you're stocking, it needs to turn and you right. need to have a good feel. So went to work there. And at the time, at the time, I think there was four stores in the group. And um, we went from four over the course of almost 16 years to 16 locations. And, and I got the chance to meet you and yep. talk to you and become good friends of yours. But uh, then after that, I decided, you know, during that same time, of course, I met several um, managers in deer and, and things like that and joined a, a, perform, a performance group and um, DPG mm-hmm. and met two guys, George Wakeser and Steve Ubel, and still really good friends with both those guys. And Steve Ubel asked me to come with him because I gave a lot of input into our dealer um, performance group. And on a metric that we started to George and, and Ubel had a rough idea what they wanted for labor performance. But together, we all tweaked it and became what we all know today in, in the dealer world is labor performance. And um, so they asked me to join them and teach labor performance to other John Deere stores while I still worked. And uh, I said, sure, I'd love to. I, I, and I had a ton of fun doing that and sharing my experiences with other dealers and just watching people get it. The aha moment when they truly understand how do I, how do I alter my gross margin percentage? What really affects that? You know, and how do, how can we change it? And so that, that's been a lot of fun for me, Casey. And I really have, I really get a lot of enjoyment out of that. Right. So, so opening WB Global, I mean, actually it started years ago um, with a couple other large, large dealer group managers. We'd get together and we'd meet twice a year and we had our own little teeny performance group and we'd hold each other accountable for little things. And that was the start of WB Global, the dealer-to-dealer peer group. And then it grew into our meetings. And then it was just kind of a natural fit that um, when, when, when I was done on the retail side, 
to do this on my own. Right. So yeah, it, it's been a ton of fun. It really has. Yep. Yeah. It's a you know, life's uh, journey. Yeah. It's always, it's always a phone, man. It's like, I'm like you, I should not, and there's no reason why I should be in this business. You know I mean? I didn't even, I didn't even know how to even, all I knew is combines had the big wheels on the front. Right. You know what I mean? That's, <laughs> right. that's about it. You know? So yeah, that, that whole, uh, that whole journey is, is something there. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. We'll get back to Casey and Wayne in a moment, but I wanted to take a quick second to invite you to this year's National Strip Tillage Conference, July 28th and 29th in Iowa City, following the Dealership Mind Summit. Come learn about the growing strip tillage market and learn how to serve your customers who are actively investing in the practice or considering it. Listeners of this podcast are eligible for an exclusive $50 registration with code PODCAST. To learn more and redeem, visit www.strip-tillconference.com. Now back to Casey and Wayne as they continue their conversation, sharing some of the ways Wayne's consulting and training business can help dealers improve their aftermarket operations, regardless of their size. So talk a little bit about what you're doing, how that process gets started. You know, I'm a, I'm a dealer yeah, principal and I want to talk to you about, I need, I need some improvement sure. in the purpose service department. How am I, how sure. you help me? So the easiest way would be go to wbglobalservices.com mm-hmm. and on our website, there's a link. You can contact us. You can send me an email. Um, a lot of dealerships, I, I just, I meet people, you know, through doing, whether it's a, a training event for some other dealership group or doing a talk, you know, yeah. or doing a, a, maybe send out a, um, an article and some dealers will call us and talk to us. And, and, um, it's real simple. We, um, we'll come out and do an evaluation. First, I'll talk to you on the phone. We'll figure out what your needs are, what you're struggling with. And, uh, then we'll come out and do an onsite visit, do an initial assessment and then build our action plan from there, you know, depending on. We, we've done two store locations. We've done 28 store locations. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter the size. We have a program for each. And speaking of the program, we call it the dealer edge. It's an edge program. And it's based on the fee, the fee structure is based on how many locations you have, but the fee is a hundred percent guaranteed. So say the fee is $20,000 for your stores. Mm-hmm. If we do not generate an additional $20,000 worth of gross margin for you and your company over the course of our training, the 12 months, then you pay us nothing, right? Right. But we've never had to, we haven't paid that out yet, right. and I don't plan on it, right? Right. I yeah. think that, uh, well, I know I know that our training brings a lot of value, mm-hmm. and, and and we've got a lot of dealers that'll tell you, yeah, it's yeah. been really helpful having them here and help us. Right. So, so talk about a little bit of some of the future plans you have. No. Well, okay, so the future plans are, the um, I'd really like to keep growing the consulting side, mm-hmm. but what I really would like to see is our performance groups. Right. You know, the dealer to dealer performance groups where you can hold each other accountable. And there's a lot of those out there and there's different programs, but these would be just targeted just for aftermarket, not the entire dealership. Right. You know, a lot of times when you when you go to a dealer group meeting like that, you know, they'll have two or three for sales and sure. one for aftermarket. Right. Right. There's not a lot of activity and gain from one meeting. Right. Right. You don't build the trust. You don't build the camaraderie. Mm-hmm. But um we, in our performance groups, you do, you build that trust and you, you, um, you're more willing to be more open and candid with each other, right. And really hold each other accountable. Right. Because that's what I find a lot of times, you know, you, you look on my shelves, there's, there's training materials back here that over the years you go to a really good class and you think, man, you're all jazzed up. Your employees are all jazzed up. They want to get after it. Then you get back and the battle starts happening. Right. Right. And that material gets pushed on a shelf 
And there's tons of good advice in those books or those manuals and ways to make more gross margin and net profit, all those kinds of things, help your turn, help your feel, all those things. But we get so busy working in the business that we don't have the time to work on it. Right. So our performance groups really make it so that if you say you're going to commit to something, we're here to hold you accountable right. for that. Right. Yeah, right. You, you're just not going to put it on the, on the bookshelf and forget about it. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So we'd really like to see it grow into that. And, um, Heck, maybe eventually do even the sales side of it. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, the parts and service side of the business, I think as, as the, uh, the evolution, uh, especially on the, in the farm equipment business of, of how machines are, are being sold and what those look like, the technology that you can add on to older equipment now right, to make right. them newer. The aftermarket side of the business is going to really excel even more than it is now. I mean, exactly. I get almost, I mean, right now everyone shoots for that 100% absorption rate. And that's what they're trying to get yes. to. That I think that in the future, that parts and service side of the business is going to be at 100%. Because if it's not, I just have a hard time believing that there's going to be enough. I don't know that the selling of equipment is going to be the same way we see it now where there's exactly. this perpetual turn and, and we see a lot of people doing stuff. I think we're going to look more at a at a construction model where there's, you you might be buying stuff based off of like a job, right? But you're also looking at throughput. Yes, is it cheaper for me just to rebuild that than buy a new one? I mean, where where does that line start to come in? And I think that's where parts and service is going to have a big play. Yeah. in the future. That, and that's and that's what we push our dealerships yeah. for. Is you know what we we want 100 percent absorption, right? Because we want to bulletproof your dealership, sure. right? Yeah. We want no offense to sales, <laughs> but you guys get the opportunity to sell the first one, sure, maybe two, yep. But if we don't have a good aftermarket team supporting you, yep. yeah. you could be the greatest sales guy in the world. And I know you are, Casey. I know you are. <laughs> but if I don't support it in yeah. parts oh, of service, yeah. they're going to they're well, leave. That's what I always tell people. Like, I'll sell the first one. Yes. The parts of service department sell the next 10. Amen. You know, and I that's, totally agree. And that is, that is honestly got truth. If, if you don't have the support structure, um, you know, if you ask any, any customer for the most part, you ask them, does your parts department have parts that most of the time it's, it's no, no, you know, never have the parts. Cause they think about the last time they went in there. <laughs> That's the only time they think about it. Yeah. Yeah. But the previous eight and a half times or nine times they were in there, you know, they had the part, right. You know, it's right. just that one time when they needed that one part, didn't have it. It's like anything in life. You remember yeah. the bad experience, not necessarily all the great ones. <laughs> right. Yeah. But if yeah. it's, but if it's a perpetual problem, right. You know, it's going to be a thing. And also from a, from a big picture perspective, we start looking at, at, the developing countries that are coming in. Oh yeah. You know, Eastern Europe. I know there's, there's a war going on over there right now, but you start looking at Eastern Europe and, and Africa and Asia and those Asia. places exactly. like that, where you're going to see, you're starting to see more of this modern modernization of farming come into play. And you've been to foreign countries and been through oh, departments yeah. and I've been to foreign countries. I've been through, and there's a, uh, you know, we're sitting in your office here and this office is probably what, you know, 10 foot by 15 feet, 20 feet, yeah. something like that. And that was one guy's entire parts room. Right. You know right. I mean? And it was yes. like, they had like space on the shelf still to put stuff on it. That's, you know? Yes. And, and so that, as those, like you said, you know, as the machines population grows and different aspects of that, of how to keep those machines running, start to grow. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. You know, it really and it's going to see growing the, that parts and service business across the spectrum to keep the, keep the world fed is going to, it's going to be a bigger, bigger challenge, challenge, you know, yeah. but the, the exciting part is 
is the telematics involved, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Like the equipment is getting so smart. Yep. And what's what's really fun and, and challenging for me is, you know, parts inventory management. I, I love that science. I really do. But to get our parts departments to be more predictive sure. is yep. the cool part, right? Yep. Because now we, we have so many ways to capture the data, you know, and as dealer groups expand and grow, you know, maybe they have one that's farther down south. So maybe that harvest time starts sooner. Mm-hmm. Well, you can notify your northern stores, hey, get prepared for this wave because it's headed your way. Right. These are the parts that we see breaking, right? The more we're able to track that and say, hey, at X amount of hours, between 500 and 800 hours, here's a couple common yeah. parts that fail. Well, yeah. now we're becoming more predictive, right? Mm-hmm. We, we've been really good for the last 80, 100 years of being reactive. You know, stock order, that's a reactive thing. But putting parts on your on-site cabinet at your farm saying, hey, yep. your machine population and aging is getting into this group. We got to put these parts on that inside yep. cabinet or on-site yep. cabinet, right? Yep. So we know that about 800 hours, that water pump is going to fail, yep. right? So here's the belt, here's the pump, and yep. here's the fluids. Yep. And and so that's that's the exciting part, I yep. think. The telematics is really yep. helping. The parts department become more predictive. Yep. And the other side of it too is as as machinery gets more smart yeah. um, and, and things and, and they you start looking at the componentry that goes into them. Rarely when I go in the shop and, and sit and listen to what the techs are doing back there, the last thing that they're doing is actually fixing a physical component on it. Right. They're chasing electrical, yes. hydraulic issues, some sensor someplace right. that's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. So they're spending a lot more time with the test light and doing sure. diagnostics than they ever have been Amen. in, in the history. True. And so back to your point of being proactively, being able to engage those, yes. those scenarios as things come through, make a big difference yes. in, the way, in the way you look at customer service. Right. Well, 100 years ago when I got started right in the business, you'd tear everything apart and you, you'd have grease all the way up to here, right? Yeah. And it used to be pretty commonplace to go into a shop and see at least one transmission apart or maybe an, uh, an overhaul going on over here. You don't see that in our shops hardly at all anymore, right? Yeah. It's exactly what you're saying. We've got our, our fluke meter out and we're chasing a, a, yep. a, a cracked wire or broken wire. And that takes a ton of skill, yep. right? I mean, yep. you pull open some of these connectors and there's 84 pins in there. Sure. You have 84 wires. Yes, that yes, so, yes. Yeah. And that's that's the craziest part of that because you sit there and watch those guys do it. And it's these just like you said, you know, I mean, these technicians and, and parts people as, as we come into this new, brave new world that we're headed right. into, you know, you, you've got to be able mm-hmm. to sit back there. And like you said, with, with the size and scope of these dealerships that we see now, the data points that you that you get to collect oh, are, are just massive. It I mean, is. And it's crossed a, a broad spectrum of, you know, what happens in, you know, Bridgeport, for example, or Scotts Bluff. That's a totally different farming area than Cheyenne Wells. Right. Right. So it's totally different. Irrigated row crops. Yes. Yes. Dry land. Dry land. Wheat. Yes. You know, and cattle production, all this stuff. So the, the data that you're getting from down here, just like you said, even though it's not the same crop, but what's getting, what's breaking here will probably break here in the fall. That's you right. You know what I mean? We That's start right. looking at and, and do similar things and and start chasing those things and, and building that data point to yes. bring it all back in. Yep. It makes yep. a big difference. It makes a huge difference, right? Yeah. And as dealerships keep getting larger and larger, I think that um, one thing we fail to utilize is our economies of scale. Sure. Right? Yep. I mean, we should look at it and, and it gets a little touchy and sensitive, but 
it's truly one inventory. Yeah. Right. Especially in the parts inventory and even technicians to a certain degree, you know, I mean, you can share technicians, you can have technicians that get really proficient at a, at a recall or a PIP notice or something like that, that if you send one guy or gal out to do five or six or seven of those PIPs Mm -hmm. or those recalls, they get really proficient at it where you don't need three locations, each one of them doing one or two and not hitting the time. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of little things like that, that sometimes we just got to think outside the box and how can we put these pieces together and make them fit a whole lot better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wayne, Tell people how they can get a hold of you. What's the easiest way so, to do it? The easiest way is to go to WB Global Services online, wbglobalservices.com, or you can always reach out to uh, Wayne at WB Global Services. There's an email right there. and uh, Or, heck, they can reach me through your podcast as well. Sure. You have social media? You on social media at all? LinkedIn. LinkedIn? Okay, yes. what are you on? Just Wayne Brozick on LinkedIn? Or yes. Okay. Right on. All right, so check that out. Well, Wayne, good to see you again, man. Nice you, and I always enjoy seeing you, dude. <laughs> nice it's always a good time sitting down and talk with you and uh, go from there. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with uh, Wayne Brozick. You can find me on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn, Moving Iron Podcast. You can go to the Moving Iron uh, Podcast YouTube channel. Check that out. And you can also go to Moving Iron LLC website uh, for everything Moving Iron related there. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Wayne Brozick. Let's go with folks. Thanks, Casey and Wayne, for sharing their conversation with us. You can keep up on the latest industry news by registering online. To receive our free newsletters, visit www.farm-equipment.com. For Casey and Wayne, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.